All right, good morning. My name is Jimmy. I oversee the youth here. Um, I'm going to read our scripture this morning. So if you would all stand uh, with me as we read this passage today, we'll be in the book of John, chapter 18. Uh, If you have a blue Bible, there's some under the chairs. Those pages will be 527 to 528, so be ready to flip the page. So starting with chapter, er, starting with verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, would we, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Jimmy. How's everybody doing? This is a good, rowdy bunch. My name is Josh. I'm a pastor here. I get to preach this passage. A few things. We have membership this week starting. So if you want to take the next step in this church and be a covenant member committed to us, us committed to you, uh, membership starts tomorrow night. So make sure you go on the website, sign up for that. With that, we get to celebrate a baptism today of our very own Jansen Morgan, which is, <coughs> which is a picture of someone entering God's family. We get to hear her story. So it's going to be fun. We're going to scream loud for her. We love her. She's been a part of this church from the very beginning. She's like our, our sweet daughter that we love so much. So we get to celebrate Jansen uh, this morning. I, and I get to preach uh, this passage. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. There's a lot of things in Christianity, in the Bible, words that come out of Jesus' mouth that sound great, but they're sort of like, wow, that's a great statement, but what does that actually mean? My kingdom is not of this world world. That's what this passage is about. Jesus talking to the king of that world, the governor of Judea, Pilate, and he says, yeah, but my kingdom is not of this world. So studying for this passage, it actually took a turn on me that I didn't expect. I was expecting to be more uh, focused on the coming cross, because you see we're getting to the end of John, we're getting to the point where the, the gospel really takes shape on the cross. Jesus is killed for our sins by the Romans, and anyone who places their faith in that man receives forgiveness of sins now and forever. And then he rises again to prove that he defeated death. He is the victorious king over all things. So all these great works of Jesus were right on the cusp of seeing. And I want to preach them loud and I want to preach them until our hearts get it. But oftentimes in our tradition, so we're a Bible believing, we really st- we stand, honor God's word, we love scripture. 
we focus so much on the work of Jesus, what he finished on the cross and in his resurrection and his ascension, that we tend to, we often can, go to Scripture and sort of glance past the person of Jesus. Meaning, what was he like as a man? Because one day we're going to be face to face with him and we're going to experience Jesus. What is like? What are, what are his quirks? What are his flinches? What does he, what's he look like as he's listening to? And in this passage, this is sort of where the Holy Spirit, I think, took me, is look at Jesus. Just watch him. Just see him interact. There's nobody like him. You will not find another man or woman like this person. When he says, my kingdom is not of this world, you can pontificate and think about what that means. Or you could look at the person of Jesus and say, oh, that's what the kingdom's like. It's like that man, Jesus Christ. And specifically, it took a very concrete sort of landing spot as I studied the scripture. And it's sort of Jesus' ability to interact with others. How he listens and how he speaks, how he pauses, how he invites people in. And a passage came to mind out of James. It's famous for being the passage that none of us are good at. This is what James 1, 19 through 20 says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James is the brother of Jesus. What's he writing about? James is writing that to us because none of us are naturally good at that. But James is also writing that because he saw his brother Jesus live that out. And as we go to this passage, I think that's what we're going to see is Jesus being quick to listen, slow to speak, never backing down, but never caustic or mean or abrasive, always perfectly full of grace and full of truth. So here's what this message hopefully is. Encouraging as we look at the person of Jesus that we've chosen, that we've decided to follow and be reminded of how beautiful he is, but also challenged, like We've got a ways to go before we're Jesus' stature. So that's what I want to do this morning. Let's pray and just ask the Spirit to meet us. Holy Spirit, meet us exactly in this moment. You are alive and active. You are on the move. You indwell the believers in this room. So I pray that you would convict and point us towards Jesus and help us to walk out of here more full of your power. Not our own ability, but your power to go live this out. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're, the first half of this passage, we're going to sort of set the stage. What's this like? What's it feel like right now for Jesus in this interaction? And then as Jesus actually goes to have a conversation with Pilate, we're going to look at six rules of engagement that we learned from Jesus. But first, what is this setting? Let's go and read this again, what Mr. Jimmy Curley just read. Verse 28. We're just going to walk through and sort of make sure we're aware of what's going on. Remember, it's moments away from the death of Jesus. It's Passover week. It's packed. There's a lot going on. And Jesus has been taken in the night, in the garden he would pray at, into town to be trialed in all these goofy clown trials before sinful men. Caiaphas and Annas, the priests, the religious leaders of the day, triumph. The Sanhedrin, which isn't recorded in John, it's recorded in other Gospels, is the sort of a Jewish elite ruling class. They try them. Goofy, wrong, sinful men coming to the wrong conclusion. And Pilate, sinful, short-sighted, broken man, now judges. And that's where we're at. So then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, one trial, to the governor's headquarters. That would be Pilate. He's the governor of Judea. It was early morning. So remember, the scene started in the garden, middle of the night. It's been going on all night. Now it's probably 4 a.m., they think. 
So Jesus is tired. The disciples are tired. Everyone's zonked. It's the beginning of like the festivities really kicking off as Passover hits its stride. And they sacrifice the lamb later on. But 4 a.m., before that happens, let's deal with Jesus here. They themselves, next part of the verse, did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but eat the Passover. Pause right there. Fascinating. First of all, highlights the ethnic issues going on. You got Romans, you got Jewish people. And in every society, every country, no matter how close to perfection they've come, there's always going to be divisions and strife. And you've got the Roman elite that lead. Roman is the ruling class. Jews are the oppressed underclass. And anything they want done has to go through the Romans. So you've got that dynamic. Like they don't love the Romans. They just have to act like they enjoy the Romans because the Romans are the ones in charge. We all have situations where it's like, I, don't, I would never spend a moment with that person, but they're my boss, so I'm going to play the game. And the Jews have to play the Roman game. But more than that, there's a Jewish game. They're not going to go into Pilate's headquarters, Gentile headquarters, because they don't want to be defiled before Passover, which is just fascinating. I will not enter his house because I don't want to be defiled so I can enjoy the Passover lamb. But I'm on, way, on the way to have this man killed who is perfectly innocent. But there's no like, you know, we should stop. Is there any incongruities in what we're living out right now? Does anyone ever do that? No. Why? Because we're all hypocrites to various degrees. And the Jews just show, like, what the world we live in. It's full of strife. It's full of hypocrisy. Most blatant hypocrisy. I'm not going to do this so I can enjoy this meal, but I'm going to kill this innocent man. Verse 29. So Pilate went outside to them. So Pilate's in his headquarters. The Jews come, the mob. Kill this guy. We can't go on your ground, but kill this guy. And this is what Pilate says. What accusation do you bring against this man? What's the issue? Verse 30. This is, a, this is the, by definition a non-answer. They don't actually give him anything. They answered him. <coughs> sorry. If this man were not doing evil, would we not have delivered him over to you? Their answer, duh, he's done bad stuff. You know that. What's your accusation? Tell me what I should be trying this man for. Well, you know he's done evil. It's obvious. It's like you guys haven't said anything. And just so you know, like in the Roman law even, it was supposed to be the accusers standing before the accused, and they go back and forth. And that's not what happens. Pilate comes outside, hears the Jews go, and then he goes inside, and the trial's between Pilate, who's not the accuser, and Jesus. So even they're making a mockery of the Roman system. All over this place is like, gosh, nothing is right. Except this one Jewish man in the center of this story seems to be the one doing the right thing in every situation. Verse 31, how does Pilate respond to them? Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Get him out of here. You have your own law, do what you need to do. So here's the predicament for the Jews. We want him dead. Romans are in charge. We technically can't kill him, which is interesting because you fast forward and you read the book of Acts. Stephen gets stoned with the apostle Paul standing there. So again, hypocrisy just bleeds all over the place. We can't do this. we got to have them do it. Pilate's like, you guys take care of your own business. Verse 32, why did all this happen? Because God's perfectly in control. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken, to show by what kind of death he was going to die. I'm going to be raised up, which was the Roman crucifixion. 
I'm going to be raised up. What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm going to be raised up. This is happening because God ordained it to happen this way. But what do I want us to see in this setting? Just before we go back inside with Pilate and Jesus and see the conversation. There is nothing neutral about what's happening. There's nothing uh, peaceful about the current state of affairs. Passover has hundreds of thousands of extra Jews in town. All this religious ceremony is going on. you got the Roman-Jewish strife going on. It is a heated time. It is a packed with emotion time. So as we go and watch Jesus interact, just know he's not interacting in like a neutral setting. Like marriage would be amazingly easy if God just gave us space where there was no other issues in life where we could just kind of look at each other and be like, okay, I, I see you, babe, and I hear you. But we got these four creatures just running amok in our house. We've got jobs. We're tired. And it's hard to ever like, that's why we pay counselors. We want to have someone like, hear me. I will, I will pay you any amount of money. Just let me sit on this couch. I'm going to talk. You just listen because I don't get this anyway. The world is on fire and Jesus has this conversation. Our culture is varying levels of being on fire. COVID, racial tension, political discord, you name it. Your work environment, your home environment. We don't walk into neutral settings where we get to sit peacefully on a couch. We walk in a world that is contentious and Jesus is in the middle of that. But he's going to show us this, how it's done, my brothers and sisters. And just for your own enjoyment, this has actually never happened. This is kind of a highlight in my preaching uh, career so far. So you normally I try to like just unpack the passage and then put it together in a way that's kind of rememberable. Sometimes you use the same letter, you know, you go PPP, three points. Oh, great. That's it. Sometimes, this has never happened to me, you use an acrostic where you actually spell out a word and it's amazing. So this is just, I want you to give it up for me. This has never happened before. I don't know if it'll ever happen again, but as I was preparing, I'm sitting there and I'm like, I see this happening. And I see, I'm like, I see a word forming here. <laughs> this is about to get good. So that's the six rules <laughs> of engagement. Just so you remember, Jesus is going to teach us how to listen. Be slow to speak, quick to listen, even when you're facing Pilate while the whole world is on fire around you. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. How did Jesus do that? Let's read together. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So pause right there. So the Jewish mob is outside. Jesus, or Pilate goes back inside with Jesus, sits down. He's got all the Jewish voices in his head. He's got the Roman responsibilities above him. Are you the king of the Jews? What's Jesus supposed to say in that instance? If he says yes... Pilate's mind goes directions it should not go. I knew it. You're an insurrectionist like the rest. You're just like all these other Jewish messiahs that have come and tried to overthrow Rome in a variety of ways. I get it. So he can't say yes. He also can't say no without nuancing it because he is the king of the Jews. He is the hope of Israel. He is the hope of the world. This is, you see where he's at. What do I do here? I think Jesus displays with the world we live in then and now it's the same Here's my L point. Labels are loaded 
and often very unhelpful. King of the Jews wasn't the right title, yes, but it was being used as a label and Jesus knew it. So he pauses and he doesn't just feed into the narrative of the day. There are labels all the time that are loaded and so unhelpful. What do I learn from this? We live in the same sort of reality where we can do it simply and lazily and just have labels for people, which is hard because that, you know, as a pastor who's around people all the time, I kind of want to like categorize people like, okay, the, that's the crazy section. Okay, I'll, that's the really sweet section. If I need to encourage and lift up, I'll go see Marsha. Okay, that section. But we live in a world where the labels are the reality. And Christians need to be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, Jesus says. Like even the most basic label you could give us, Christian is loaded. So I go into my neighborhood. Hey, are you Christian, Josh? You're always gone on Sundays. I could answer yes, and I don't know what's going to populate their mind. Oh, okay, then you're bigoted, homophobic. Basically like a thousand years behind the rest of us. Okay, I got it. Or I could say no in hopes of like distancing myself from the label. But I am a Christian, but I'm not a Christian in the way the label is being used. You see, it's like, what, do we just live in this dodgy reality? No, we just learn from Jesus. What other labels do we have? What about this? Are you a Republican? (laughs) All the Republicans stand up right now. Just kidding. Are you a conservative? Yes. Oh, I know. Then you're like one of those let's go Brandon people. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That escalated quickly. This is the world we live in. And it's only gotten worse with social media, spread of information, and all the voices that we allow to influence us. Are you a Democrat? Oh, you're one of those. Here's one that I've never experienced till probably... Two years ago. So people will meet with me. And the, I don't know if this is just a Christian subculture thing or if I think it's in kind of broader culture now. Are you woke? Like individually, are you woke? And is this a woke church? <laughs> Answer me now. What do I do there? Well, yes, I'm woke. Aha, I knew it. You are, you just think there's no rules on sexuality. You've eliminated the Bible from your rhetoric. You are a woke joke. That's not what I said. Okay, are you woke? No. So you don't care about racism. (laughs) No. You get like, it just sucks to be a human right now. Like, (laughs) who wants to navigate into this? I'd rather just. Drink and eat chicken wings and go to bed with my... Amen. But Jesus says our kingdom's out of this world. We just got to learn how to be of a different kingdom. Are you this? I don't know. But labels, just know this, Christians, are loaded and often not faithful. And if you want to be a faithful Christian, here's the world you have to walk into. You're going to be mislabeled a lot. Jesus was mislabeled. And I remember having this conversation with a guy, another white guy, about race discussion probably a year and a half ago. 
He's like, yeah, but I don't like being accused of being this, 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 this. I said, I get it. I don't want to be called this, 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 and this. You know, racist is another label that's thrown out. I don't want to be called those things. I don't want to be those things. But like if I devote my energy to defending myself against every label that gets placed on me, that's where I'm going to spend all my energy. And I don't think that's what Jesus modeled at all in his life. He's like, all right, call me whatever you want. King of the Jews, call me blasphemous. I got a job to do, and I'm going to do it. We're going to be mislabeled. We're called to love our neighbor as ourself. One pastor I love says, love your neighbor as you love yourself rolls off the tongue like poetry. But as you try to live it out in reality, it's like walking through a landmine. What does it look like? It looks like walking through a landmine where you don't exactly know what you're going to get as you walk this road. Labels, I'll say it this way as clearly as I can, are lazy. Christians are not lazy, especially when it comes to the image of God in other humans. We are nuanced for the sake of love for other people. Like just, I've prayed about whether to share this. I didn't share it with the first service, but you guys get this right now. Like one of my fears in the next political, whatever we call it now, melee, is if we're watching sort of stuff that's already happened on the East Coast, school districts and school boards are kind of one of the main things we're going to be like, oh, they're terrible, they're critical race, all this stuff. And do we want to have convictions and opinions? I've watched school board meetings and I've lost my mind watching school board meetings. I get it. But we have a lot of Christian teachers who have their head down and are doing their very best and are exhausted. And if we as a church cultivate an environment where we're just lobbying all these labels at all these teachers who are just trying to faithfully do their job. Well, it's because what, what the political discourse has been given to us, well, we're different than that. We're not lazy like that. Fight the fight the way the fight needs to be had. It is not throwing labels out that are going to land on our people that we love. Labels are loaded. Here's the next one. <coughs> Investigate with questions that go deeper or beyond. How does this happen? Verse 34. So again, remember, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? The fact that Jesus even gives him time for a discussion is better than I would have done, knowing what Jesus knows. Jesus answers, answered him this, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pause right there. Just see the love of Jesus in this moment. Are you the king of the Jews? Is this the label I can place on you? Jesus kind of pauses the moment. Pilate, is this coming from your own heart? Is there something stirred inside you where you're inquisitive about me? Or have you taken the cultural narrative or what your daddy said or what people are telling you? Which one of these am I interacting with right now? He knows everything. He doesn't have to navigate it that way. But he does. Why? Because that's what love looks like. Treating a person like they're made in the image of God. Pilate, tell me, who, where's this coming from? He's trying to understand. He's asking questions that go below the surface. St. Francis of Assisi says, seek to understand more than you seek to be understood. Which is the flip of the cultural moment we live in right now. Make sure you're understood. To heck with everything else. Jesus is like, I just want to understand, Pilate. Is this you? Or is this something else? What is going on here? And this is sort of Jesus' like best tool in his ministry tool belt is the ability to ask questions and good questions. 
I saw a guy post this the other day. It's interesting because it lines up. One of my favorite seminary assignments I ever did was I just researched Jesus through the lens of questions. I'm like, it seems like he's always asking questions. I'm like, I'm going to go. So I wrote down, wrote down every question Jesus asked. All the spots where he asked a question. And it was like a 15-page paper. And this guy summarizes Jesus' ministry through questions says this. Jesus asked 307 questions if you go and do the work. Jesus was asked 183 questions. But Jesus only directly answered eight and probably only three if you listen to other scholars. Which means Jesus was fine in this question space. And it's not because he's dodgy or confused. It's because that's how you get people to open up about what's going on underneath the surface. That's also why we pay counselors, to figure out what's really going on under the surface. Are you the king of the Jews? Is this you or is this something else? How does Pilate respond? Am I a Jew? Pause right there. It's like Jesus hit a nerve. It was like, at best, we could see like a neutral standoff in this conversation. Hey, what's behind this? And then Pilate's response, am I a Jew? One commentator says it's like the junior high boy when they say, you like Lily? Shut up. No, I don't. They never say, you know what? I do like Lily. She's a great young girl. <laughs> One day I hope to marry that Lily. <laughs> it's get out of my face, butt face. And, you, and Pilate says, am I a Jew? Get out of here. But Jesus pressed on something. He's like, okay, I see what's going on here. But I think there might be more to this. So Jesus is not going to end the conversation. It's like he's always willing to stay in the conversation for the simple fact that he loves so well. And one of the best ways he loves is through asking questions. Ask more questions. One of my counselor friends in her office has a big sign that just says, ask more questions. Ask more questions of your neighbors of your kids, I just got a book the other day on my Kindle. It's questions for your father. It's one guy writing a book, a basic of questions he wished he would have asked his dad just to get to know his own father better. Ask more questions. It's what Jesus did and modeled so well. Here's the next thing we see. This is my most disappointing letter, but you're just going to have to work with me. Verse 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. In response to, am I a Jew? If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might, be, might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pause right there. What's Jesus saying? Pilate, you have a playbook, a rule book in your head that you think I'm pulling from. But I'm pulling from a whole different playbook. My kingdom is not of the world. I don't do this the way you do this. So here's my S. Again, I told you it's disappointing, but it's <laughs> what you get. So... <laughs> many rule books to choose from so many so many so good here's the point we all have lots of options on what playbook what rule book to go to when we're navigating a contentious and hard to navigate culture and I think we more than often give ourselves the benefit of that obviously I'm doing what Jesus would do and I think we just need to pause one and be like which playbook am I pulling from like in this world, what are some kingdoms of this world that we navigate right now? We got the cancel kingdom. You can't say anything offline. 
ever or you're canceled. And if there's any sin in your life, they don't call it sin. They just call it, you know, a grievous error. Then you're going to be canceled. We don't live by cancel culture rules. We don't cancel people. We don't cheer when people are canceled. The goal of life is not to have those that have never been canceled and those that have been canceled. And then that's the end of life. That's a rule book that's been presented to us as Western modern Americans. And we shut that rule book and we say, what's the kingdom of God say right now? Here's another one. We got the syncretist kingdom. Just always lead to the truth. We shouldn't really have deep conviction fights because it doesn't really matter. What you believe is what you believe. What you believe is what you believe. Again, that's not a rule book that we're supposed to be using. We're not meant to fight over everything, but we are not to walk through this world thinking differences don't matter and have very serious consequences. We are aware of the differences. Here's the one that drives me most nuts. I'm getting older. Lots of things drive me nuts. It's a longer... The straw man kingdom. And this is sort of just how you debate now. I've got person A, person B. Person B believes this. Person A, the way they're going to get after person B is describe them in the most cartoonish possible way. You know what person B believes? They think we should annex ourselves from America. I didn't say that. I just said we should change this law. We the, and it's, I don't know where it came from, where it started, if it's always been here since the garden, but it is like elevated and highlighted, and that's just the way it happens now. Like you can't have a discussion. What's the democratic view of this? What's my liberal friend's view of this? What's my conservative friend's view of this? It's, well, you know what they're like. Tim Keller says, if you can't present your opponent's argument, whether it be a person or a culture or sort of a people group, in a way that highlights them to where if they heard it and said, yeah, that's, that's what I believe, then you should shut your mouth because you're not presenting in the way that's Jesus-like. Straw man kingdom. We don't live in that kingdom either. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, I know what you want me to do. I know what you expect me to do. Pick up my sword and to take over. And if I was a king like the, wor the world says I should be a king, that would have already happened. Which is just ironic because as you read church history and sort of European history, and now, you know, most of our fights are basically not listening to Jesus in these words. He says, I, the way the world fights is picking up swords and kicking butt. But I don't do it that way. My, that's not my kingdom. And yet all these European holy wars, all these countries have been fighting, all the stuff in Ireland, it's like, geez, we, if we would have just read this passage and lived it out, things would have been a lot better. But well, we don't because we live within the rule books of the kingdoms of this world as opposed to the one that's not of this world. I think the most simple way to think about this is old school. I used to make fun of it, the bracelet, WWJD, in every situation. What would Jesus do here? Is another way to say is what does the kingdom of God require of me here? What would Jesus do? Well, let's look at Jesus. He always did it the way he would do it, which is the kingdom's way. Here's the next thing we see. T, truth has one source. Verse 37, let's read this. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. He drops the king of the Jews now, king of Israel. So you are some sort of king. Jesus answers, you say that I'm a king. Again, 
I love Jesus because you cannot pin him down into any silly little narrative that we want to place on him. You said that I'm a king. You're, you're using the king language. That's what you're saying. He's almost like, I'm still not the king like you think I'm saying. But you're saying I'm a king. And then he goes on to unpack. What's this kingdom look like? It's this kingdom of truth. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into this world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who listens. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. For this purpose I came into the world. I went to the Grand Canyon basketball game last night. Find your purpose, GCU. Jesus, what's your purpose? Have you found your purpose? For this purpose, this is my purpose, to bear witness, to show the world truth, period. We live in a false world, and I am here to show you truth. And if you hear my voice, you are of the truth, period. Which means there is only one source for truth in this world that says, everybody choose your own truth. That is not true. It's not even helpful. It's like people think it's helpful, but it just places all this burden. If I send my kids off into the world and say, you know what? It's a blank canvas. You figure it out. While I have truth here close to me that I don't pass on to them, I am a terrible father. Go choose your own truth. How weighty and how overwhelming is it to go out there and be like, every option is on the table? There's 6,000 world religions. I've got to go research all 6,000. Or you could take Jesus at his word. Maybe in this moment. Oh, there's truth. Finally, something to stand on. A voice to listen to that will lead me in the right way. Jesus says, I am the truth. I've come to bear witness for the truth. So as we're in these hard conversations, and we're in confusing cultural situations, Christian, rest assured, if Jesus is the voice you're listening to, you're in the truth. It's not always going to play out like you're the one on the winning side. Jesus displayed that perfectly on the cross. But if you're in the truth, that's all you need to be worried about. He came to bear witness to the truth, and anyone who listens to his voice is of the truth. Are you listening to his voice? In all these pockets of interactions, are you listening to his voice, or have you let other voices drown his out? There's only one source of truth as we navigate this world. Here's the next thing, and this is where Jesus just kind of shows us how life really is. Endings are often, often disappointing. How does this conversation end? Verse 38, Pilate said to him, what is truth? It's like, nothing's landing. And then you read a couple verses, we'll see. He, Pilate then goes and flogs Jesus. Jesus is like, the only thing that matters is truth. I've come to bear witness to truth. Pilate says, what's truth? And then he goes and beats Jesus as a part of this. Why? Because endings are often disappointing I know we want like I so badly wish that my conversations and my interactions with my family and my neighbors and my friends and the kids on my youth baseball team would end with like please tell me how to get eternal life well that's why I'm here but so often it's like this what's truth even the Roman system isn't really set up to be like truth focused the Greeks were the ones contemplating truth and art and society Romans are much more pragmatic and practical like Americans. It's like we don't have great American philosophers right now. We're just very pragmatic. What's next? What's next? Do more. Do faster. Do more. Greeks were like, what's truth? <laughs> and he's talking to a guy in a very pragmatic society. And he says, I don't even know. I don't have a category for what you're saying. It's like, oh, gosh. Did Jesus fail and lose? No. 
He modeled, this is what it looks like. It's often going to be like disappointing. We're supposed to do two things. Be faithful to what Jesus has called us to and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. The results are in the Spirit's hands. We're to be faithful and to love as Jesus loved. And that's it. And I think our percentage is going to look pretty bad if we just take it at face value. But one day we're going to meet Jesus face to face and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servants. In this situation that you thought you failed in, in this situation, when Pilate said what is truth, in this situation, well done. You did, it what, you did what I wanted. And then finally, end to finish out our word. This is not a verse, but it's just the whole interaction. No one is ever out of Jesus' reach. This whole interaction would not have happened if I was in the place of Jesus. Like one of the most frustrating things in my mind in my life is when I know I know this much or have this much expertise in whatever it is and I'm talking to someone who's obviously here to have any sort of grace and humility. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe, you know, I'm the lone ranger on this. But when I know, like, I know more than this person. I see this. It's like parenting. I know more than you, kid. Seven-year-old kid, are you kidding me? But Jesus doesn't just like, hey, drop truth bombs. He comes down on his level. The Jews would not go into his house because they could not be near the unclean. Jesus comes down to earth in flesh, walks into his house, into the unclean spot, and meets him eye to eye, in love, in truth, in grace, and wants to draw him in close to him. Nobody's like that but Jesus. There was no one out of Jesus' radar. No one where Jesus was like, I am not going after that person. That's what all the parables about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. Why? Jesus goes after anyone and everyone, even Pilate, a Roman unclean politician. Jesus says, hey, Pilate, what's going on in your heart? That's the God we serve. He listens. He's got a posture of grace and truth and humility. And he goes to even Pilate and says, do you hear my voice, Pilate? Nobody's like that but Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be more like you. We want to be able to interact this week even in all the situations where you're going to have us, where our natural default is going to be opposite of what we see with you. We're going to want to label because it's easy. We're not going to want to ask questions because it's too much work. We're not going to want to engage because it takes love and grace and perseverance and energy. God, we are just not going to naturally walk into being more like you. But by your grace and by your spirit, you have drawn us in. And you don't draw us in just to secure us for some future reality. You draw us in to change us now and to shape us more into your image. So God, as a church that is placed here, in this place, in this city, in this time period, where we don't get to choose how society and culture is working. We are just placed in the middle. I pray that we would be more like Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.